If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Proverbs. Uh, although it might be easier for you to just look at your worship guide because we're going to be going through a lot of random different places in Proverbs, and all of those verses will be there. Um, but if you want to flip to them, you're welcome to. We'll begin in Proverbs 6. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning at what Proverbs has to say about the sluggard, uh, has to say about laziness, uh, and actually has to say a lot. Um, I was convinced going into this, uh, studying for this, that this would be something I didn't really struggle with. It wouldn't preach or it wouldn't speak to me. I decided to preach last week on anger because I knew I, I struggle some with anger. And uh, I'm quiet about it. It's an internal struggle, but I knew it would be good for me. And then I wanted something easy for me to preach on, which was about laziness. And I just thought it's not anything I struggle with. And I realized I, I, was, I was pretty wrong. I did grow up in a household where probably the worst thing you could ever call someone was lazy. Uh, my, my dad was a very hard worker. Uh, he actually grew up dirt poor uh, and home without indoor plumbing. I mean, he went to an outhouse all through school. Uh, it took him nine years to graduate from college because he had to work his way through it. Uh, and he just worked really hard and he instilled that work ethic in our family. Uh, so I don't know what you did on Saturday mornings. Uh, you probably watched cartoons or something like that growing up. Uh, breakfast was on the table at 6 a.m. for us on Saturday mornings. Our family would eat, and then we'd get to work uh, on Saturday mornings. And so I was convinced, like, this is one thing I understand. I understand about work and not being lazy. And then Proverbs had a way of just kind of uh, uh, hitting me a little sideways as I studied it this week. Proverbs talks a lot about slothfulness. Uh, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. If you were to pull together everything it says about laziness, it would probably be about two or three chapters, or about 10% of the book of Proverbs is about this. Uh, we're not going to read through all of those verses, uh, but we are going to read through about 20 or so, uh, beginning in Proverbs 6. So listen carefully. This is the word of the Lord. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The soul or the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. 
As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wearies him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it, and I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. This is the word of the Lord. And pray with me. Father, I pray that you'd open up your word to us, that you write it on our hearts, that we might leave this place looking more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who is today currently working, working on our behalf. And we thank you for that. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so be honest. For those of you who have opted in to receive our text a day with a proverb, did you enjoy uh, every day this week being called a sluggard? Uh, Somebody actually sent a message to the church saying, uh, who needs an alarm clock? When your church sends you a text at 5 a.m. saying, get up, oh sluggard, how long will you stay in bed? Uh, We don't use the term sluggard anymore, and I just would like for us to bring it back. Uh, It's an amazing term. Uh, You don't have to even know what it means because the moment you hear it, you actually know what it means. Uh, Slugard. I mean, you're, you're like a slug. It's used 14, 15 times in the Bible. A sluggard is one who is lazy, who's inert, doesn't have any ambition, tries to avoid work at all cost. And by work, I don't just mean your career or your job by which you get paid. There's all different types of work. If you're in school, studying is a work. Taking care of the home is work. Keeping your children alive, that is work. Uh, My brother, he currently works in the Ukraine. He goes there for about three weeks and he works. And then he comes home uh, where he has three little kids. He's married, has three little kids, and he works there. And if you were to ask him, which is harder? Uh, being in a chaotic, you know, war zone or going to the Ukraine, like, which is harder? <laughs> he is going to tell you, like, it is being home, keeping those kids alive. That's by far the harder work. There's all different types of work. Uh, and the Bible teaches us that we are to do all of this work wholeheartedly as to the Lord and not be lazy. One of the themes that runs throughout Proverbs is this. Laziness leads to ruin. Uh, now, since I don't have that much time this morning, I'm not going like, to go through everything that uh, Proverbs has to say about sluggard. And I'm certainly not going to talk about an entire theology of work. But I do want us to just kind of hit through a number of these quickly as we can uh, to see what Proverbs teaches us about the sluggard. And we're going to begin with Proverbs 6, 
This is where we're introduced to the sluggard. And the first thing we learn is that the sluggard has no ambition. The sluggard has no ambition. Verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. So the Proverbs tells us to go to the ant, consider her ways. This is actually just such a mic drop slam against humanity to be told to go to the ant. I mean, here the book of Proverbs tells the very pinnacle of creation, mankind, the one who was given dominion over this entire world to now go to a mindless, soulless, tiny insect to learn the most uh, rudimentary things about work. But that's how much humanity has fallen. Uh, We have to go to the tiniest of creation to be told to do what we used to be the pinnacle at. And it's not just the book of Proverbs that does this. This is Jesus does this same thing. When Jesus wants to outsource some of his teaching, you know, point to someone else and say, learn from them, he actually doesn't have another human to point to. And so Jesus has to say things like, you struggle with anxiety? Well, look at the raven. And you're like, okay, well, at least a raven's somewhat intelligent. Well, then after that, he says, look at this plant. <laughs> he tells us to go and to learn from an inanimate object, a, a plant there. Uh, And he says, consider the lilies. They don't toil. And Jesus even goes on to compare the lily with the wisest person of all time, Solomon. He says, actually, look, the lily's doing it better. The only time Jesus will ever even refer to a person for teaching is when he does a parable and he has to make up someone. But it seems like when we need to learn actually about humanity, we are so fallen, there's not another human example. And so God tells us to consider something about creation, to consider an animal or a plant, and let them show us what it means to be human. Let them show us what it means to work. Let them show us what it means or who God is and who we are. So we're to consider the ant. But what does the ant teach us? Verse 7. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The ant doesn't need to be forced to work. The ant doesn't need to be persuaded. The ant doesn't need to be browbeaten or coached. Doesn't have to have motivational speeches. The ant knows it's supposed to work. The ant's doing what the ant was created to do. This is what we can learn from the ant. Uh, We were created to work. Uh, We read this in the very first page of Genesis. In Genesis 1, God creates us to have dominion over the entire world. And in Genesis 2, he puts us in a garden to work. And of course, God himself modeled that work for us. And the very first paragraph of the Bible is God working and he, he works and he creates and then he steps back and he's like, oh, that was good. He has such joy in it. So he creates some more and he steps back. And he's like, oh, that's, that's, that's good. He's taking such delight and joy in his work. 
And then when it comes to creating humans, he essentially rolls up his sleeves and he puts his hands in the dirt. He doesn't just speak us into existence. He works harder on us, the pinnacle of creation. And he also wants to show us what it means to be created in his image. It's to be a hard worker. And of course, after he finishes creating us, he's like, oh, that was, I outdid myself. <laughs> like, that's really, really good. Such joy in work. Work is a gift from God, like, like marriage, like sex, like having dominion. It was always meant to be enjoyed. It wasn't until sin came and we fell, and then that's when there was the toil and the sweat and the thistles and the thorns that began to make work harder. But we were created to joyfully work. Uh, the next thing we see about the sluggard that he teaches us is that the sluggard... Uh, not only is he not ambitious, he doesn't know what he's supposed to do, but the sluggard experiences poverty. Proverbs 6, 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? At least 14 times in Proverbs, laziness is linked to Poverty. You see an example, you know, 10 verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty. And now not every poor person is lazy by any means. But make no mistake, laziness will absolutely lead to some form of poverty. My poverty, I don't just mean lack of money. That is a form of poverty, but that's not the only form of poverty. There is also relational poverty. Theological poverty, recreational poverty, a poverty of meaningful relationships, a poverty of health. If you fail to work at any of those areas, you're going to experience a poverty in those areas. So if you don't put work, real work, in towards building and maintaining friendships, well, then like the sluggard, Poverty is going to come upon you like a bandit. Uh, if you do not put the work of studying your Bible or reading good theological books or articles, then a day is going to come when you really need to know what God says and you're not going to have anything to draw from. You will be poor. Uh, you see, the sluggard wants something for nothing. Uh, we read that in chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So the sluggard might want bread, but the sluggard is not going to work to make that bread. And just because you crave something doesn't mean you're going to get it. Uh, if you want to have deep, meaningful relationships, you've got to put in the work. And some of you, you, you have an okay marriage, you have a decent marriage, but you actually crave for more. Maybe you're, you crave for a deep, passionate, exciting, joyful marriage. Are you putting in the work? There's a warning here in Proverbs 6 about how poverty in these areas eventually comes to us. And it comes gradually. I mean, no one goes into life thinking, you know, I really want to be a loner 20 years from now. I really, my goal is to have no friends 20 years from now. 
I want a terrible marriage. You know, I, I want to uh, have an unhealthy body. I don't want to know what God's plan is for my life 20 years from now. Nobody goes into life with those things being your goal, but those things most certainly happen. They just kind of happen. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and before you know it, bam, it hits you like a bandit. That's what Proverbs 24 was about when it says, you know, I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and he found it overgrown with thorns, the ground covered with nettles, the stones were breaking down, and he considered it. And he says the same thing. How did it get this way? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Used to be a beautiful vineyard, but it began to fall apart gradually. If you don't put in the work, you're going to find yourself 20 years from now with a marriage that's just kind of, eh, eh, it's okay, but you'll want more. Or you'll, you'll find yourself turning 40 and wondering, where did all your friendships go? Or your kids will suddenly be grown up and they'll be leaving the house and you're thinking, you know, I never really knew them that well. Or suddenly suffering is going to hit you and you're going to try to pull from God's word for comfort because you remember you used to have some verses memorized from VBS a long time ago. But you've forgotten those, and there's no words of comfort to draw from. In those moments, you will crave those things, but you will be poor. Um, I think Lauren and I, we have a, um, I'm very thankful that we have a, a, what I call a wonderful marriage. I um, mean, in the last few years, we've gone to some marriage retreats. Um, we took the last marriage class they offered here at the church, um, someone at that class said, what are y'all doing here? I mean, I, I thought y'all had a great marriage. It's like, and you just answered your own question. <laughs> yes, we do have a good marriage. And it's because we go to marriage classes. <laughs> We're trying to put in the work for this. Um, are you putting in the work towards those areas of life that are important? All right, let's pick up the pace here. Uh, next, we see that uh, the sluggard is always making excuses. The sluggard only sees the obstacle before them. Look at chapter 15, verse 19. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Here we see like the sluggard would like to move forward would like to be going in this direction, but there just always seems to be something blocking the path for the sluggard. They just can't ever make a decision, you know, because all they ever see is the obstacle before them. Uh, the sluggard is the one who always says, yeah, I know we should do that, but what about this? Or what if this happens? Often their, their excuses are completely irrational. They are driven by fear. You see that in Proverbs twenty six thirteen. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. Uh, the, lion, uh, the, the sluggard just wants to stay inside of just fear of what might happen. There's, there's not a lion outside. This is an absurd, irrational fear. 
Do you ever have any of those? Sometimes are you just paralyzed and you can't make a decision? You can't move forward in your finances? You can't move forward in your relationships? Because you're just focusing on everything that could possibly go wrong? Hear me, the Bible does not say you're being cautious. The Bible says you're being lazy. Notice that the next couple of verses after the whole, there's a lion in the street thing. Uh, Verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. What a great image. This is the image of someone tossing and turning and never progressing. A door on a hinge is not going anywhere. We'll be the same place 10 years later. And 20 years later, there's no meaningful movement forward. Some of us toss and turn in bed. Others of us, we toss and turn in our minds. We just go back and forth and back and forth and things. And we've been doing that for years. We see that the sluggard can never finish what they start. Find that in verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. That's a great proverb. I mean, it's hilarious. What an absurd image. I mean, can't you picture this? Picture it like college football Saturday. Couch potato. You know, just laying on the couch. Like even when you get tired working the remote and uh, you've got, you've got your, your nacho dip there and you got your chip and you're like, oh. Why is life so hard? And you like you struggle, and like ah, let me just gain the energy, and I'll bring it up to my mouth later. It's 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 an absurd picture. Uh, this this absurd picture is meant to teach us something that there's a lot of us who have really good intentions, but no follow through. We can visualize just how good something's going to be, but we never actually get it done. So you can just see it. You can dream it. I'm going to be an amazing piano player. I'm going to be in a rock band. I'm going to be able to run a five-minute mile. You know, I'm going to uh, live in a beautiful house, and I'm going to have the most amazing backyard you have ever seen. I'm going to memorize all of Ephesians. No, take that. I'm going to memorize Ephesians and Romans this summer. And you're like, you can see it. And it's beautiful. You put your hand in the dip. Gosh, it's too, it's too hard. Let me just get my strength. It'll eventually get there. The sluggard is a quitter. And as a result, they will experience what we read in 13.4. They will crave but they will get nothing. Verse 16 gives the reason for this. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Uh, The sluggard is driven by pride. You've heard the term the lazy know-it-all. That's the sluggard. The sluggard looks around at people sweating and toiling Like, what idiots? 
Like, work smarter, not harder. As if you can't work smarter and harder. Uh, they're like, no, I mean, I can just sit around and do nothing. Uh, the, the sluggard is the one who uh, is usually hypercritical of their supervisor. They're always looking at other workers and just thinking, I could do that so much better. You know, if they had put me in charge, it'd be completely different. Yet the slugger does nothing. The sluggard only points out the flaws of everybody else doing the work. They're too self-centered to, to get involved. And we see next that the sluggard, uh, not only are they proud, the sluggard is always going to disappoint those around them. We see this in chapter 10, verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send them. No one wants to drink vinegar. No one likes sitting around the campfire when the smoke goes all in your eyes. And at the same time, no one ever wants to be put on a group project with a sluggard. You don't want to be assigned to do work with someone who will never carry their own weight. Uh, someone who uh, won't even respond to emails. No one wants to work with someone who never completes tasks. I don't even want to go on vacation with someone like that. Have you ever like been on vacation? Maybe it's a, you know, where it's extended family. You all like maybe get a house or something at the beach. You know, you have that non-contributor there, the sluggard. I see some of y'all just instantly looked at somebody. <laughs> don't, I mean, literally you did. I caught you. You, you know, the person who like, they come and uh, they never take out the trash. They never fix the coffee. They never put a dish in the dishwasher. They literally think I'm on vacation so everyone else here can work for me. It's like drinking vinegar having that person. It's like smoke in the eyes. No one wants to be around the sluggard. Finally, we see that the sluggard has wrong pursuits. We see this in chapter 12, verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Uh, this is the one that kind of got me this week. Often laziness will disguise itself. It disguises itself as working really hard over the wrong things. Uh, busyness can actually be a way of masking laziness in your work towards the things that matter. Um, so, you know, if you don't want to work on some difficult friendship or some difficult marriage, if you don't want to work on maybe a hard situation with your kids, we'll just stay at the office longer. Just work harder there. And you're, you're telling yourself, I'm just, I'm just working really hard. No, you're being lazy towards the things that matter. And yes, it's, it's better to go to a place where people are going to pat you on the back. People are like, man, you are crushing it today because you know you're not going to get it in the other areas where you're poor. And so it's just easier to just, I'll just pour myself into a busyness here. Uh, D.L. Moody, he, uh, he once said that the saddest thing you could ever experience towards the end of your life is this, not looking back at where you have failed, not your failure, 
but it's looking back at the places where you experienced success in the things that didn't matter. You don't want that as you're looking back at your life. Yeah, you're fine with the failures, but do you really want to look back and be like, man, I had such success at things that didn't matter. Uh, Jesus said that we are not to work for the food that perishes, but for the food that will endure to eternal life, meaning that we can do work that matters and that lasts for eternity. And you got to be careful with Jesus' words here. Be, listen to what he says. He doesn't say that we work for eternal life. We're not working for our salvation. We're not working to find favor with him, but we are working for food that will endure that will endure to eternal life. There are some things that we could do now presently in this life that will endure for all of eternity. Uh, remember, when, when that day comes and you are resurrected, you are given a new body, you are living in a perfect, redeemed world, remember that you are still going to be working you don't like get resurrected and now it's a redeemed world and then what do you do? Just sit on the couch all day? You work. There is still going to be work to be done in, the final, in our final state when, when the kingdom of God comes. And actually by faith we, begin, we can begin living that way, working that way now. Did you know that after Jesus rose from the dead and he was given his new body, he didn't stop working. He's still working. He's still upholding all things by the word of his power. He's still interceding on our behalf. He is still ruling and reigning over all things. Jesus is still working. And he has asked us to join him joyfully in his work as well. To work for the food that will endure for all of eternity. Is this how you think of work? Is this how you thought about being lazy or the sluggard? Perhaps you've, as I've been going through this, God's revealed to you some things like, man, I'm really, what I thought was work, I'm actually really being lazy in these all-important areas over here. When you commit now, when you commit now to put in the work necessary to where 20 years from now, you're not looking at a vineyard of your life in which all the walls are broken down, and there's thorns and thistles everywhere. And you've come into ruin, into poverty. That's not how the Lord has called you to live. Work hard for his glory in faith. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that um, you are working on our behalf. Joyfully working on our behalf. And I pray that through your spirit, we would begin to look more like you. That we would do our work out of faith, do all of our work as an act of service to you. Make our work worship. Lord, through your spirit, would you be so kind to us to maybe expose some areas in our life where we have been lazy? Some areas in our life that we are in danger of one day being bankrupt. And Lord, through your kindness, would you allow us to make the changes we need now? And we pray this all in your name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen.